And I need to trust him now for this sermon. I'm feeling way out of my league, way out of my depth to preach on worship. Oh, my goodness. I said such a sense yesterday and this morning. Um, God's got to work. So let me pray. And we'll ask him to come. Lord, I, I need your help today. Ah, uh, boy. Your glory is, is infinite. Your majesty has no limits. Your mercy is breathtaking. And help me, help us, Lord, through your word, would you teach us about worship this week and these next three weeks? Would you come? Give me your heart. Give me your words. I pray, Lord, that those who don't know what worship's about at all would be transformed into worshipers today. I pray for those who feel too discouraged, too far from you, to worship, that they would see the cross and your mercy and your love and your promise to change our hearts, and that they would be drawn to press in and go hard after you. And Lord, for those who maybe have experienced powerful worship of Jesus Christ in the past, but who have not experienced that for a while, I pray that you would remind them and stir them and transform them and meet them. So Lord, come. Help me. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I uh, first became a Christian, a long time ago, uh, I saw the importance of things like Bible study, um, praying, obviously important, evangelism, that was clearly important, uh, small groups, fellowship. I saw the importance of all those things, but I did not see the importance of worship. Just didn't see it. I mean, we worshiped all the time. We'd come together almost every meeting. We'd sing, we'd worship. I even led sometimes. But frankly, at that point in time, uh, I didn't see what we were doing. I didn't connect with it. It didn't really do anything for me. I just kind of was involved because I, you know, I wanted to fit in. But I didn't see the importance of it. But over the years, that has changed. Through studying the scriptures, through interacting with other godly men and women, through experiencing powerful worship on my own, through experiencing powerful worship with brothers and sisters, I now understand that worship of God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance. It is the most important thing. And that's, that's one of the reasons why here at Mercy Hill we're passionate about worship. Uh, we're passionate about worship in our own personal times with God, that we would be growing in just worshiping him with nobody else around, just worshiping him. Uh, we're passionate about worshiping in our families, in our marriages, to worship the Lord together. We're passionate about worshiping in our home groups, to seek the Lord, to exalt Him. And then, as you know, Sunday mornings here, we are passionate about worshiping God as He's revealed in Jesus Christ. But some of you may not understand what that's all about. Um, I mean, you're here, you're participating, but you don't really understand. And, and others of you might need to be reminded of what it's all about, because it's easy to get into ruts, it's easy to kind of get cold, kind of get lukewarm. And so we're going to take a few weeks to talk about worship, as I said. We're going to study what God's Word says about worship. And there's two aims that I'm praying God will do in me, 
and in us. One is deeper understanding of what it means to worship God as revealed in Christ. Deeper understanding. But then the goal of the deeper understanding is that we would have, we, we, each of us, would have a more powerful, passionate experience of worshiping God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what we're praying for. So let's turn to John chapter 4. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, we want you to, we invite you to raise your hand so we can bring you a Bible. Because the words in the Bible are infinitely more important than any words you're going to hear from me. My aim is I want to unfold these words to you and what Jesus is teaching. This is one of the most powerful places where Jesus teaches about worship is in John chapter 4. Now, if you um, don't know where John 4 is, in the Bibles we just passed out, it's on page 889. Uh, if you have, a, have your own Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know John's the fourth gospel, so John chapter 4. Now, here's what's going on in this passage. Jesus and his disciples were traveling... Uh, from the southern part, I've got a map up here, from the southern part of Israel down in Jerusalem, and they're traveling up to Galilee, and they've got to go through Samaria, which is that center section. And they've been walking all morning, and uh, Jesus is weary, we read in, in the early verses of John, and so he sends the disciples into town to get lunch, and he sits by, by the well that they stopped at to rest. And while he's there at the well, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water, and Jesus engages her in conversation. It's beautiful. I love Jesus, the way he talks with her. He starts off saying that he has living water to give her, the gift of God that will satisfy all her heart thirsts. It's a beautiful passage. And then he asks about her marital status for a couple of reasons. One is he wants her to see where she's been taking her heart thirsts, Man after man after man after man. Second, because he wants her to be convicted for her sin. And third, because he wants to help her see that he is God because he knows all about her past. She doesn't tell him. He tells her what her past is. She sees he knows. And so Jesus talks about her marital history. And then she asks him a very important question to her, and that is, where is the right place to worship? On Mount Gerizim here in Samaria? or down in Jerusalem, south of us. So Mount Gerizim, as I said, is right there, and Jerusalem's right here, so she wants to know where's the right place to worship. Here's why she asks that question. You've got to get some background about the Samaritan people who live in that, in that central section there. Who are the Samaritan people? Before 722 B.C., that central section was populated by Israelites, Jewish people, before 722 B.C., In 722 B.C., that entirely changed. Assyria from the northeast came in and conquered that section and deported all the Israelites who owned homes, property, or land. Anybody who owned property, out of there. And then they brought in foreigners to take over the homes, property, and land. Convenient transfer of wealth there. And so all those left of Israelites was a few poor people who didn't own any land. And so intermarriage took place between these foreigners and the poor Israelites who were left there. And over the the, the decades to come, uh, not only was there intermarriage, but obviously because of all the intermarriage, these people were no longer full-blooded Israelites. But even more tragically, they had turned their backs, tragically because at, at that time God had forbidden Israelites to intermarry, right? Okay, but even, but much more tragically, they had turned their backs on God and they were worshiping the false gods of the Assyrians. They were worshiping Baal. 
They're worshiping Moloch. They're worshiping Ashtoreth. Some of them you can read in 2 Kings 17 and 18 went so far as to burn their babies as offerings to Moloch. That's the darkness that had come over Samaria. And they wanted to kind of create their own spirituality and their own God. And so they, even though God in the Old Testament had said, bring worship and offerings to Jerusalem, they built a temple on Mount Gerizim and they said, this is where we're going to worship. And they, it was very mixed with Assyrian worship, foreign worship. It was just a mess. But so this issue of where should worship, Israelites say Jerusalem, that's what God says in the Old Testament. We say Mount Gerizim was a hotly contested issue. So there was religious disputes going on. There was racial animosity, a lot of tension going on here. And that's one of the reasons why this woman asks Jesus, what she does in verse 20. So look at what she asks him there. Verse 20, John chapter 4. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And she's speaking about Mount Gerizim in Samaria. But you, and that word's in the plural. She's talking about the nation of Israel. You, Jesus didn't say this, but, but you, the nation of Israel, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So there's the question. And in answering this question, Jesus gives one of his most powerful teachings on worship. Look at what he says, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim and Samaria, nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. You, plural, the Samaritans, worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, it's already started, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not so much in Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem, but in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. These are the verses we're going to be digging into for the next three weeks. So this morning, I want to show you from this passage why worship of God is so important. Then next week, we'll talk about what it means to worship in spirit Dig deeper in that. And then the last week we'll talk about what it means to worship in truth. Dig deeper in that. So this morning, why is worship so important? Why is worship of God as revealed in Jesus Christ of the utmost importance? And to to dig into the passage and show that, I want to start with this question. You should notice that Jesus says that both the Samaritans and the Israelites worship. How can Jesus say that they both worship? Did you catch that? He does say that the Samaritans worship what they don't know, but he uses the same word worship for what the Samaritans do and for what the Israelites do. Look at verse 22. You Samaritans worship, uses that word, what you do not know. We Jews worship what we know. So even though the Samaritans worship is wrong, Jesus uses the word worship to describe what they do. And this is a crucial truth to understand about worship. What the Bible teaches is that Everyone worships something. The Samaritans were worshiping. The Israelites were worshiping. Everyone worships 
something. The Old Testament uses the word worship to describe worship of the true God. It also says people worship idols. Romans chapter 1 says that everyone has turned from worshiping the Creator and is now worshiping the creature. So the word worship can be used to describe what every single one of us do. Jews all worship, Samaritans all worship, every one of us in this room worships something. Now, that doesn't mean that we all go to temples or that we all believe in a deity. Okay, Obviously, all of humanity doesn't do either of those. But it means we all worship something because... What worship means is when you seek and you experience and you express ultimate pleasure in something, ultimate awe about something, ultimate wonder about something, that's what the Bible means by worship. When you seek and experience and express ultimate pleasure, awe, love, adoration towards something. So we worship Jesus Christ here Sunday mornings. Here's what that means. It means seeking, experiencing, and expressing. We seek God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We, we pray and ask him to open up the eyes of our hearts. We set our hearts upon the truth of who God is as revealed in the scriptures. We, we, so we're seeking to experience. And then as we do that and our hearts are set, the Holy Spirit comes and quickens our hearts and shows us God's majesty we, we see the beauty, the love of Jesus Christ. We see the, the mercy of the cross. We see the tenderness of God in loving us and forgiving us. We see the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the faithfulness of God. We seek and then we experience ultimate pleasure and awe and adoration. And we express that. We say, we love you. We adore you. You are glorious. Thank you. You're majestic. You're loving. You are God, your Holy Son, Jesus Holy Spirit, love you, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's what worship is, towards God. But people don't just worship God as revealed in Christ. There's people who worship fine wine. There's people who worship food. There's people who worship athletic prowess, celebrities, career, money, This afternoon, there's people who are going to be worshiping the 49ers, right? Game starts at 1 o'clock, first game of the season, Green Bay, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying the 49ers. We've got it recorded, okay? We're going to check that out, all right? But to live for, to have that be your pleasure, satisfaction, what you've been thinking about, Monday, you're thinking 49ers are on Sunday, Tuesday, 49ers are on, okay? But see, what they are going to be doing this afternoon is the same thing. That is, they are they're seeking the pleasure of hopefully watching the 49ers trounce Green Bay. And so they're seeking that. They bought their tickets or they've got the schedule cleared off for this afternoon, right? They've got the snacks all laid out, the, the six-packs in the fridge. Okay, they're, just, they're all set, okay? So they're seeking that and then they hope that the 49ers will do well and they'll be able to experience the pleasure of watching the 49ers play. And then they'll be expressing that. They'll be doing the wave or they'll be like shouting or clapping or standing. Okay, so I want you to understand that every human being worships something. We have all been created as worshipers. Every one of you has been worshiping something this past week. Either God, as he's revealed in Jesus Christ, 
or something else. Everyone worships. Now, even though everyone worships, it doesn't mean that all of the worship we do is right. It doesn't mean all the worship we do is true. And in this passage, Jesus says that the Samaritans' worship is wrong. What was wrong with it? What was wrong with the Samaritans' worship? Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, Jews, worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That's not a racist statement there. That's just the reality that God has revealed himself through the people of Israel. That's beautiful. That's Old Testament. That's powerful. The problem with the Samaritans' worship was, Jesus says, they worshipped what they did not know, which means they turned from what God had revealed to them about himself. They turned from the true God, and they were worshipping something that was not God. They're worshipping Baal, worshipping Moloch, husbands, men, other stuff. Okay, they were not worshipping God. They had turned from the truth of the one true God and they worshipped something that was not God. So picture the Samaritans. I want you to feel the tragedy of their worship. Picture the Samaritans living here. God had revealed himself to them clearly. Through creation, one way. I mean, look at the world. Look at our bodies, look at the mountains, look at the sea, look at clouds, look at birds, look at animals, look at people talking together. There's no way that all of this came about by chance, actions and reactions between elements over billions and billions of years. There's no way. God is displaying he's God, he's creative, he's loving, he's powerful. So God had displayed himself to the Samaritans through creation and through Israel. Their forefathers were there in Egypt, right? Their forefathers, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was in Egypt when God freed Israel from Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. They knew that it happened. They knew God had parted the Red Sea so Israel could go across. They knew that it happened. They knew that God had Israel walk around Jericho seven times shout and the walls came a-tumbling down. They knew that it happened. They knew that God had promised a way for every human being to be forgiven for sins through trusting the coming Messiah. They, They knew all of this. They'd seen all of this. They'd known all of this. But they turned their backs on worshiping the true God and chose to worship something that was not God. And the Bible says that's what we've all done. Romans 1. We've all, we all worship the creature rather than the creator, Paul says in Romans chapter 1. See, God's revealed himself to all of us, too, just like the Samaritans, through creation, through Jesus, through Israel, and supremely through Jesus Christ in history. God came to earth in the person of Jesus, second person of the Trinity. God is three persons. Jesus came, born of a virgin. And he lived among us so we could see him, watch him, touch him, know in history that God is real. And we could look at Jesus and see God, fully God, fully man. And Jesus commanded a storm to stop, and it stopped. Who does that? 
Jesus spoke to blind Bartimaeus's blind Bartimaeus's blind eyes. They opened. Who does that? Jesus loved and taught, raised Lazarus from the dead, and then he went to the cross, set his face to go to the cross to receive in his own suffering the punishment that you deserve for your sin and that I deserve for my sin. And then he rose from the dead. So here's this blazing display of God, power, mercy, love, faithfulness, reality. And it's all before our eyes. And me and you and all of us, before we were saved, turned our backs on the truth of God as revealed in Jesus and we all worshipped other things. That's what we've all done. Why would we do that? Why, why would every human being do that? And look at God. Who, who would not worship him? Well, it's because there's something in our hearts the Bible calls sin. In every one of our hearts, there's this dark passion to not bend the knee before God. There's this dark desire to be in charge, to be in control. And so we create religions of our own making. We create spiritualities that suit us. We create versions of God that we can be in control of. We turn from the truth about God and we worship something that's not God. So that's, that's what was wrong with the Samaritans' worship and that's what was wrong with all of our worship before God saved us. So what does God do? How does God respond to that? Here, all of humanity, I mean, yes, the Old Testament, God had saved many people, but, but everybody else, turning their backs on God, worshiping something that's not God, how does God respond to that? God's just, God's righteous, he's holy, he has every right to respond with wrath and judgment and just destroy everyone who's chosen not to worship him, but that's not what God did. What did God do? Look at verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming. He's certain and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father and Spirit and the truth. There will be true worship. Why? Here's his reason. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. No one's worshiping God. What does God do? He seeks worshipers. He's seeking worshipers. Now, that word seeking can be taken in two very different ways. You could think it means that God is seeking to find worshipers. There's, there's all of Samaria, nobody's worshiping there, and God's looking, hoping. Can I, is there anybody here worshiping? Can I find somebody worshiping? That can't be what this means. Because that doesn't fit the logic. Jesus has just said, there will be worship. There will be true worshipers. And the reason he gives for why he knows there will be worshipers can't be because God is seeking to find worshipers. I mean, is everything you seek to find happen? No? Okay. But this word seeking can also mean not just seeking to find, it can mean seek to create, seek to make. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. He knows that there will be true worship because God is seeking to make worshipers. And when the sovereign, unstoppable God moves out to do something, it happens. When he seeks to make worshipers, what's there going to be? Worshipers. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, I just wanted to check this out. Matthew Henry 
Okay, commentator, I think 1700s. I like to check out my interpretation sometime to see what what Matt said. Okay, and and uh, Matthew Henry, who's got this massive commentary of the Bible, he says it means God is seeking to create, seeking to make worshippers. That's why Jesus can be so certain about it. And so the way that God responds to this global darkness, this global sinfulness, this global turning from the truth of worshiping God to worshiping something that's not God, the way God responds to that is to seek to make worshipers. That's what he does. God takes a non-worshipper of him And by his merciful power, through Jesus paying for this man, this woman, this child, sins on the cross, transforms this person into someone who worships God through Jesus Christ. That's another description of salvation. When God saves someone, they always become a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Always. They're transformed into a worshiper. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 would be a great scripture to look at for that. That's the description of the creation of a worshiper. He takes a non-worshiper, somebody who's bound up in sin, who's not interested, who's proud, who's willfully ignoring God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you my story. Here's what happened to me. High school, 1971, 1972. I was not a worshiper. I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and probably some other times there I forgot about. I went to church all the time. Friends were there, a lot of fun. I was not a worshiper of God. Okay? I was a worshiper of surfing, of pleasure, of popularity. I was a big-time, passionate worshiper of those things. But I was not interested in God. I, I actually tried to read the Bible at times. Ah, it, just, you know, I just didn't do it. Nothing. We'd sing songs in church, and I was like, "Well, she's cute, you know, right?" That's, that's kind of where I was at, right? So there was there was no worship happening in this heart. But God is seeking to create worshipers, and He sent Jesus. Oh, this hit me this last week. Galatians two twenty, the Son of God who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself up for me. Jesus came, and my name was in his heart, and he paid for my sins as he was being beaten and scourged and nailed to the cross. And he paid for my sins. And because he did that, God the Father could have mercy. Instead of punishing me, God had poured the punishment I deserved upon Jesus, so God could bring his mercy upon me. And in 1972, he brought his power upon me, and he just changed my heart. I, I trusted Jesus. I, I saw the truth of who he was. I said, I see you. You are glorious. You are powerful. You are real. You've come to the earth. Just the, like, like blinders lifted off. I repented of my sin. I repented of my false worship. I trusted Jesus. And my heart was changed. I love to worship Jesus Christ. I saw him. What was I doing these past years? That's just nothing. He came and he created a worshiper out of this non-worshiper, or this non-worshiper of him. And that's what he does. God responds with mercy, sending Jesus to pay for sin, and he brings his power and he transforms people to become a worshiper. That's what he does. 
Every time God saves someone, he creates a worshiper. One of the ways you can tell you've been saved is because you are a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Every time God saves someone, their hearts are transformed in that way. And so God's purpose, this is God's passionate purpose, is to create worshipers. This is what God does. God created a universe so there would be worshipers of him. God revealed himself through Israel so that there would be worshipers of him. God sent Jesus the Messiah so there would be worshipers of him. God has created heaven so that forever there would be worshipers of him. God's burning, passionate purpose is to create worshipers. Create worshipers, create worshipers, create worshipers, create worshipers. Here, your neighborhood, San Jose, Central Asia, downtown, Garden City Church, right? To create worshipers across this country, to the nations, God's burning, passionate purpose is to make worshipers who will worship Him. He wants men, women, children to worship Him. This is His burning passion and zeal. Now why? Why is God so passionate about creating worshipers? It might strike as a little strange. Is He like, like really insecure? Like He needs a lot of people saying, you know, you're, you're okay, you're okay, you're, you're, you're awesome, okay? Get over it. No. Is he vain? Does he just feed on people's, you know, bring it, bring it? No. Why is God so passionate about seeking worshipers? It's because God is a God of, there's lots of reasons, but I want to focus on this one. It's because God is a God of love. That's one crucial reason why God's passion is to create worshipers. Here's why. Because when you set your heart on, when, when you're changed into a worshiper, when you're transformed, and you set your heart upon God as revealed in Jesus Christ, and when you set everything else aside, clear your mind, maybe clear your desk, whatever, and you focus on God as revealed in Jesus, and when you see His majesty, and His mercy, and His power, and His beauty, and His deity, and his awesomeness. And then when you speak this to him, say, you are glorious. You are majestic. You are God. You are my all-satisfying treasure. When a human being whose heart's been changed looks to Jesus Christ and worships Jesus Christ in that way, you'll be filled with awe at who he is and joy in who he is and meaning as you're worshiping him. You were created to worship God. That's the fuel you were meant to, to drive on was the worship of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And when you set everything else aside, humble yourself before him, set your heart on him, speak praise to him, adore him, love him, exalt him, that's when you are, that's when life is, he said, this is eternal life, Jesus taught. To know me, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says, that's life. You are living when you are worshiping. God is revealed in Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, our home group had lunch after church. And uh, one young man was there. I told him I wouldn't use his name. But he said I could talk about what, what happened. And after lunch, he went home. And he was just stirred by church and by the lunchtime conversation, he went home and he pulled out his guitar and he started to worship, worship the Lord. He put on some YouTube worship songs, listen to them. 
He listened to some sermons. He read some scriptures. And God powerfully met him. Here's what he said. Can we kick it up on the screen? Here's what he wrote in his journal. He sent this to me by email yesterday. He said I could use it. He said, Christ, speaking to Jesus, what an experience. After great lunch with home group, I came home and played some guitar and kept worshiping through singing. I kept singing in the dark, weeping for two and a half hours, praying to be more intimate with Christ and have more joy in Christ. That's why God creates worshipers. God loves this man and transformed him into being a worshiper of Jesus Christ so that he could experience this. This is life. Because God is love. And the most loving thing God can do for you, the most loving thing God can do for you is not relieving the stress in your life, getting you the promotion, healing your sickness. He may do any of those. He often does those, but none of those are the most loving thing God can do for you. The most loving thing God can do for you is through Jesus Christ, at great cost to himself, as he delivered up his own son, as he punished his own son. The most loving thing God could do is at great cost to himself to bring his power upon you and transform you into a worshiper. Because then you'll have the life that comes from beholding him, seeing him, worshiping him, adoring him. That's life. Now let me ask you, are you living? How long has it been since you've had time all by yourself, let's just say, where you've just set everything else aside and I just want to worship God as revealed in Jesus Christ now for a portion of time. How long has it been since you've done that? Have you ever done that? I know you're, you're here part of church and you can worship here, but how about you on your own? Have you had time where you've done what this young man did and just sought the Lord and worshipped him, met him in the truth of the scriptures? Lord Jesus, I love you. Father, you are so good. You are God from eternity past, past, present, future. You are sovereign, merciful, faithful, loving God. And just experiencing the life that comes as you do that. God is love. And that's why God's passion is to create worshipers. See, this is the, the secret of the universe, if you want to use that kind of language. This is what God's all about transforming men and women, boys and girls, into worshipers of God through Jesus Christ. That's why God created everything. It's because he's a God of love, and he created everything so that there would be worshipers. He wanted to share the joy of who he is with other creatures, and so he created so that we could have the life of beholding a God as glorious and being as glorious as he is. That's why he, he created. That's why everything's here. So there would be worshipers. That's why he revealed himself through Israel. That's why he revealed himself through Jesus Christ. That's why the cross and the resurrection. He's a God of love. It's also that there could be worshipers. That's why he saved you. Because he's a God of love. And he wants you to, to have the joy of worshiping him. That's why he calls you to share the gospel with your neighbors and your friends. Because he's a God of love. He wants there to be worshipers. 
That's why he keeps you in the faith all the way to the end because he wants you to be a worshiper forever. That's why he sends Rajan Scout to Central Asia with the you people because he wants her to be worshipers among the you people. That's why he has heaven so that forever there will be worshipers of God as revealed through Jesus Christ. This is God's purpose. This is what moves him. This is what he's doing. He's creating worshipers because that's where life is. And that's why worship is so important. It's where your life is found. It's what God's passion is. It's why everything's here. It's why there's heaven. It's why the cross. It's why the resurrection. It's why the Red Sea. It's why freedom from Egypt. It's why Jericho. The reason for everything is so that there will be worshipers of this glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For their glory, for our good, that's what everything is about. So, if you're not a worshiper of God in Jesus Christ this morning, become one. Now. Right now. See, I'm not feeling it. It's all right. Okay? He transforms. He creates worshipers. And so if you will humble yourself before Jesus Christ, if you'll come to him as you are and say, help me. I see your mercy in the cross. I see your love. Would you forgive me for my worship of everything else except for you? Would you change my heart? Would you pour out your spirit's work? We'll be talking about worshiping in spirit next week. Would you pour out the work of your spirit? so that I can see you more clearly and love you more and feel the truth of who you are more, I promise you, if you will pray that from your heart meaningfully, you at this moment will be transformed into a worshiper. Why why won't you do that? Why won't you do that? What have you been worshiping? How much life has been there? None! Just just get real. You were created by God to have the joy of worshiping God. That's his longing for you. So if you're not a worshiper of God through Jesus Christ, become one now by turning to Jesus, trusting him, repenting of the things you've been worshiping, repenting of the ways you've turned your back on God. Ask him to forgive you through the cross and to change you. And he will. If you are a worshiper, let me call you to do a couple things, and then we're going to move into a time of worship right here. If you are a worshiper, I want to encourage you to be even more devoted to worship. Carve out time on your own where you worship. Music, iTunes, YouTube, scripture, hymns, song, where you, just by yourself, worship God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Has that been part of your rhythm of your walk with the Lord? I would invite you and appeal to you and urge you to make that part of your rhythm. As a family, dads, lead your family. Husbands, lead your wives. God's been stirring me about some... I'm going to talk to... She's not. She's teaching a class. I'm going to talk to Jan about... I want to make worship more part of our time together in the Word and in prayer so that there's just some explicit worship time that's not been strong enough. And I would encourage you all to do that. Make that, make that part, make that worship part of your 
marriage and family, and in your home group, as you gather together and as you have that worship time in your home group meeting, enter in earnestly. And then as we as we do here Sunday mornings, we'll be talking more about how with spirit and truth next week, but just ask God and set your heart upon the truth of Jesus Christ and go hard after God because he will meet us. And we're going to do that right now as Dave comes up in the band to lead us. So let me let me pray and ask God to move upon us. Worship will never happen unless you help us, Father, by your Spirit. We cannot make this happen. We cannot will ourselves to worship. But we can come to you as we are and ask you to help us. We can set our hearts on the truth of who you are and see and think and ponder. We can plead with you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, to soften our hearts, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ to us. And so, Lord, we do that now. Would you come now, Lord? I pray that every heart here would experience the life that comes from worshiping you, Father, as revealed in your Holy Son, Jesus. So, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we say you are welcome here. We want you to convict us of sin. If there's sin needs to be laid aside so we can worship, show us. Lord, we need to be having faith strengthened. If that's what needs to happen, strengthen our faith. Lord, if we're just feeling nothing, come and change our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come, fill this place. We long for your glory, to see your glory as revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. So come now, Lord, and and enable us to worship, I pray. In Jesus' name.